Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. But, and Micah, I need you to back me up here. Okay. I'm not Christina Warren late today. <laughs> I'm not Christina Warren late today. Wait, wait, why, why, yeah, what? How I don't know late if it's was possible Christina? to be Christina Warren right. late. <laughs> so I just, I mean, I realize, Steve and Georgia, because you have children, it's difficult to operate on non parent time. But I would be, like, if I'm, if I'm late showing up to the show, I would prefer to be judged against Christina Warren standards. That's my <laughs> point. Which means everybody gets a pass, <laughs> except for I was just going to say, except for that one time when uh, I, you know, went on that rave and uh, was late to the show yeah. because yeah. of the rave. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, you you can't beat Christina Ward. <laughs> I just can't you see you in like a cat in the hat hat with a glow stick, like Micah Sargent in in a rave. Just does not. Is that compute. what you think raves are like? No, I mean based no. on my one experience at a at a really pathetic <laughs> uh, pseudo rave at college my freshman year. That was no. apparently not cool enough to actually be a rave, but cool enough to get local news involved. So. Was that a straight rave or a gay rave? I, it was <laughs> because those I, are two different things, Steve. Yeah, I, those are. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not indoctrinated into rave culture. You're not well versed in rave. No, no, I'm not. Okay, 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 Steve. What's the song? <laughs> I love that everyone just stopped speaking on that point. Give me your love. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, I would totally have the glow stick. I'm just saying. I, Georgia, yeah, I can't see you at a rave. I'm sorry. Yeah. I could well, see you with actually, a glow stick, but I would be like catching like catching lightning bugs. I could see oh, Georgia at too. a rave, but she would be in costume. Like you wouldn't know it was Georgia Dow. She's either dressed <laughs> as like a dragon. Oh, Georgia D incognito. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. I, I tell you, this okay. is how I imagine George Dow to rave. Like she just busts up in there. And she's like, "What's that? I'll snort that." <laughs> and, then, and then five minutes later, she's making out with some chick named Ariel or Dantra. Like yes. that's the way I think it would go. Wait, but does she have the tail on? I'm uh, totally into the tail. No, this is just Ariel a, a has woman no tail. Well, that happens then, uh, to be named Ariel. <laughs> See, I need yeah. the tail. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh you're so lucky I'm not like Ariel. clipping out clips of audio for future like <laughs> future future harassment purposes. Yes, yes. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> Micah, back me up here again tonight. Like Steve and Georgia, they don't know. They, don't they just it. they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> They're uh yes, yes. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that you definitely pass the Christina Warren threshold <laughs> being late. Uh it's. I was just gonna say it's. It's a little scary because right now I can see Christina Warren's green check in Skype. So it's like, yeah. can, she, can she hear me? Can oh, she hear no, me talking no, no. about it right now? Wait, wait is she just, just showing up yeah. for recording Rocket like a day later? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, last night we're she's recording. showing up now. Yeah, last night we we're recording Rocket, and it's like 
Are we starting at nine? Nope. Are we starting at nine thirty? Nope. We're starting at ten. Nope. We're starting at ten thirty. Nope. Are we starting at eleven o'clock at night? Yes, we are. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. And no one cares. That's just how we roll. Well, I don't know if you call that rolling unless it's like the molasses, but uh, <laughs> you certainly are very flexible individuals. That's right. That's great. That's, right. Yeah. That's how it goes. I would totally need to to do rocket from like you know, like a, with a pillow. Yes, from the from the bed. You're like, I just I just, I just delay it. until I woke up at five thirty in the morning and plan to start the show. Then at that point, it's you know. time to record. <laughs> Well, for the record, anytime I have come on um, Rocket, uh, the it's it's only been like you know at the most like a fifteen minute delay. <laughs> so I've got that's pretty good. I've got the lighter end of the of the delay, but of course, you know, still a delay. <laughs> I just say it's like if you're if you're going out with a bunch of girls. Like, you're not starting on time, right? So we are the podcast of all women, and we don't start on time. That's just all I'm saying. So, yeah. yeah. See, yeah. see this is the, the podcast yeah. where the patriarchy ruins all the fun and demands that we be on <laughs> well, time. It's it's not that <laughs> as much as, like, you're on a hyper-regimented, like, do you know how, like, uh, when you're reading the Hunger Games books, you can kind of tell District 13 is evil because Katniss is, like, forced to wear this thing on her wrist that tells her where she must be every moment and how many calories she consume and where she must be. And it's like, whoops, oh, five minutes for fun now. That's what it's like planning a show with you, Steve. <laughs> like, it's like District 13, basically. Okay, it's a little like uh, it's it's oh goodness seven of nine when uh, yeah. she is planning the um, you know the the stuff that the children are going to do the children that were once Borg and they save them for the Borg and she's like <laughs> I've scheduled fifteen minutes for fun and I, I've scheduled ten minutes for uh, doing something that is not scheduled or something like that and every so, okay, single I thought you were going to say that out. Steve is like the Borg. I, oh, I, I kind of no. am, but no, you know. no, yeah. no. I don't think you try to to well, uh, you know bend assimilate? everyone to your will or anything like that. No, but, I, uh, I mean, I mean, real talk. It is a matter of that. I've you know raising two autistic daughters. I've just kind of gotten so defensive about protecting their routine that it ends up kind of you know because I know how distressed they get when anything goes not according to plan and not as scheduled. So then it becomes like that. That rubs off on you after a while. You just kind of get used to doing it enough for other people that it starts to happen for yourself to some extent too so don't stress it dude i'm like talking about my (laughs) unprofessionalism so yeah yeah, yeah. so speaking of unprofessionalism let's start the show oh yeah (laughs) let's get to some topics all right we will uh we'll talk about some fun stuff we'll talk about a company we love and adore and then we'll move on to talk about some interesting individuals. So up first, uh, I saw some photos fly by, Brie, of your uh, fully outfitted vehicle. Yeah. You had mentioned Woo. that you bought uh, a, a CarPlay kit and you bought like a custom dash and you finally got it all installed. And I am most especially jealous of the fact that you took the time to actually install the microphone like in the car. So yeah. give us all of the details. I saw you just today posting about um uh splicing wires i I, yeah. I love it i love it all yeah yeah okay so steve were you were gone on the show where i got my new car right yeah i think so yeah okay so i bought a utterly gorgeous 2001 audi tt that i desperately wanted ever since gran turismo uh two 
And I'm, I'm not lying to you. Like I, I am bought this car because I played a video game, and that's just a fact. <laughs> just own deal it. with it, people. But the problem is, back when Gran Turismo came out, this car in inflation adjusted dollars was worth sixty-seven thousand oh, dollars in today's money. So that's a little bit much for a twenty-year-old to to to. You know, that's too much cheddar for me. Uh, so basically, um, you know. Like my husband bought the expensive new car this year, and I am fixing up a fifty-two hundred dollar trashed Audi TT. Um, and you know, like uh, it's a gorgeous car on the outside, but it has needed a lot of love and attention, like pulling out dents. And you know, Michael, like you said, uh, you know, the interior of this car is very much based in the nineties. Like it's got a cassette tape deck in front of it. <laughs> oh like no this, way! This metal, this metal like flap comes up because in the 90s or 2000s like that was awesome like yeah. you pushed a button on the dash and then this aluminum piece just rolls up so you can access your tape deck it was super comfortable yeah, and then you get the cassette adapter so you can plug oh, the, yeah. the disc man into the car stereo through the cassette adapter that was next gen and then you had your <laughs> case logic seat in the back seat oh yeah yeah no like you gotta get it on the visor discs? you have the one that, oh, yeah. that velcros to the visor so you could have easy access to your cds while you're driving yeah, and then Sweet. if you wanted to have some year 3000 stuff, you would go to Office Depot and get a spindle of CDs oh, yeah. and burn the CD you wanted, mixtape, like four or five times until it actually played <laughs> in your car. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that the is technology. so true. It's so true. Yeah. It's so, so true. true. I, I, I remember, no God, I got a CD burner like my freshman year of college. That was my, mm-hmm. my treat to myself. And I remember it was like some sort of a ritual where you would basically put the CD in and and then you would swear everybody to silence and not move lest you accidentally bumped it just enough to, to make a, yeah, a new coaster yeah. for yourself. Okay. Yeah. Oh. okay. So before I keep the story going, I just want to say legally, I swear to God, I've asked my lawyer to look into this and the statute of limitations on having stolen music over Napster is run out. They can't do anything if we confess to crimes on this show. So I, I stole so much stuff from Napster. I had a second phone line in my house. At one point, I had a third phone line in my house what? stealing songs all day long. So, Steve, did you did you see steal songs on Napster? I, be honest. Uh, be I, honest. I had a uh, we had a whole network that was going and finding FTP sites before Napster yeah. was a thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I and I used that to find. I had. Have I talked about this on the show? You know the song Barbie Girl. Yeah, yeah, that's I terrible. Found, oh. And I think I've lost it since. I found like this German language version of it where like the, <laughs> the where the girl is the same voice and like the the uh the the male voice is like something straight out of Hogan's Heroes. It's like this really gruff like angry angry <laughs> German voice doing the male part of the song. It was my favorite thing like all through college. Uh, what? All right, Georgia, Georgia, did thing? you steal did you steal Napster? I steal something from Nap? Never. I would never, yeah. never. Oh, swear oh, that's on your horrible. children's lives. <gasps> she horrible. has her Canadian citizenship. Horrible. Yeah. Do you swear on your children's lives you never stole some music from Napster? I, I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. I don't know what you are saying. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Okay. horrible. Okay, the listeners- I have a story yeah, uh, about stealing music. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and software and other things. So, uh, yeah, I, 
know somebody, um, <laughs> because I haven't <laughs> talked to any lawyers, um, I know somebody who would use uh, programs to steal uh, music and to steal programs, like different software uh, to use and, and movies and several other things um, would torrent those things. And, well, that person uh, who I know got a letter in the mail to his parents' home um, <gasps> with a lawsuit, threatening uh, a lawsuit. This person oh, was no. going to be taken to court and they allegedly had the person's like hard drive number and all of this other stuff that they were claiming. Well, uh, thank God it turned out for this person that the the lawsuit, it was actually just someone else who was like streaming this stuff and was scamming people into pay, like sending lots of money uh, oh. because, you know, they had used like a program to basically Someone get else people's... had a better scam is what you're exactly. saying. Oh, that's yeah. They, yeah, they genius. got like, people's genius. IP addresses and then figured out their address and sent, the, wow. yeah, sent out a bunch of letters yeah. and tried to get money. Um, now, but, how did they, how would they know that, some, would they just assumed, I guess? They just wh- sent them out part? to everyone and figured that some of the people would be... Well, it was, so whenever you do torrenting, um, my friend tells me... Allegedly. You do, allegedly. Right, allegedly, yeah. allegedly yeah, yeah, when you do torrenting, uh, the way that it works is you download little bits of data from a bunch of different people, and when you're done downloading, you're supposed to keep the stream going, and you're actually uploading those little bits of data so that other people can kind of come in. So it's, it's sharing uh, parts of files as opposed to just downloading the whole file from one location. And so somebody else who was out in this you know, ether of downloading little bits of data was actually looking at those connections and looking at who they were getting little bits of data from and using that to get actual addresses of people. And so they were able to get my friend's address through, you know, IP stuff and I don't know exactly what else. Um, And because, you know, this friend was foolish about not using like VPNs and everything, apparently. Um, This person was in high school and didn't quite know, I think. Anyway, uh, so yeah, they they ended up sending this, you know, this whole packet in the mail and it was a summons and all this other (laughs) stuff. And the, you know, the parents called and they were like, "Uh, what's going on here? And it went back and forth or whatever. And finally, the people just gave up and they were like, (laughs) not having it. And, you know, we ended up finding out that this whole thing was just a scam and it was not yeah. actually a real oh, lawsuit. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, from that day forward, my friend decided that they would never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever uh, illegally download anything ever again. And as far as I know, that person has stuck to that rule. <laughs> yeah, that same story happened to my friend, uh, Blyka Blargent. <laughs> this was really, this really tragic. Wait, that's a very Blargent. interesting sounding name. Is that Dutch? Holy it cow. Is, it is. Anyway, we're getting off track here. The, the, the question here is like, that's, let's talk about your the, car. That's yeah. the yeah. era of technology I'm dealing with. Oh. So if you look on my Twitter and we'll, we'll post these pictures in the show notes, I'm not kidding. I had to take the whole car apart. I took you did. the Whoa. front dash you. apart. I took the airbag apart. I took the steering wheel column apart. I took the center you took column the apart. airbag apart. That's I took out all my airbags. Oh my I, goodness. I'm running wires all through the car. I yeah. am like pulling out. Wait, the, um, that is sick. 
But awesome. It's, it's not that hard to do. I mean, you know, you get um, if you're Brianna really... Wu, it's not that hard to do. If you're a normal, hu- a normal <laughs> mortal human, it's it's pretty daunting task to uh, pull your whole car apart and put it back together again. There was very little to do in Mississippi <laughs> growing up, and I had a crush on a boy that was putting a, a Mustang back together. Anyway, um, awesome. so yeah, like seriously though, it, there's this thing. It's called an OBD2 port that any car in the world has to have. Uh, past the uh, the late '90s, and you can like go buy this twenty dollar box on Amazon and plop it in your car's ODB2 port, which legally has to be very easily accessible, and it will create this Wi-Fi network, and you can just like read any error that's wrong with your car, and then go to this two hundred dollar book and flip it and figure out how to yes. fix it. So anyway, oh. back to the point. Um, yeah, I completely took the car apart. I have been buying parts from like I had a a steering wheel coming from Poland. You know, I got this car from like the, the center console from Germany and yeah, it's super pimp. Like I can, (laughs) I get to like drive along now and you just like plop your iPhone down and it's working. Awesome. Like you've got, uh, you know, card in, in car navigation. You can take calls while you're driving. You can, um, you know, tell Siri to give you directions to places. It's really awesome because it makes, uh, you know, this $5,200 car that, you know, originally retailed for almost $70,000. It makes it like completely new because the underlying technology in it is still awesome and the crash you know, test rating is awesome and it still to this day handles better than like 99% of cars out there. So it's, Jeez. it's just flat out. Awesome. That's amazing. Brie. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, as I had mentioned before, had only, you know, installed that Bluetooth one, uh, cause I had the single DIN and I'm not as ambitious, uh, on installing a whole custom, uh, double DIN dashboard and I drive a Dodge Stratus. Um, <laughs> So that also I, debuted at seventy thousand dollars, if I remember correctly. Oh my! I think uh, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> Tell me more. That yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear more about how you went about um, installing the microphone. I know I keep harping on this, but it's really interesting to me because what I, I basically like with my package, it came with a microphone and yeah. it came with a really long cord. I stuck it into the back of the uh, the receiver and then ran it up through my dash and just put it on my. Uh, steering wheel but you actually yeah. took off parts of the arch and stuff yeah so the thing is with an audi uh anything you take apart you're going to take apart 400 different things to get to it <laughs> <laughs> so um i actually had to start at the back of my car and start oh unscrewing gosh. parts of the trunk and then i had to pull down the liner and then i had to pull out what we call my a-frame pillar and then i had to run it down through the um the a-pillar archway and then i had to drill holes in through my fuse box all the way over to my dash and then hide the wires up under there but you know i already had the entire front of the car taken apart so it wasn't a big deal what was very difficult is this particular car comes with uh like a bose upgrade system so the wires aren't like front you know front right positive and negative front and left positive and negative it has uh i think eight speakers in there and all of them are off this uh amplifier that's in the back uh, underneath the passenger seat. So I'm having to like literally go through the same 
electrical wiring schemes that they teach you to read when you get an electrical engineering degree <laughs> to like figure out what the wires are in my car to like you know hook up through all of this and like this uh sunday i'm about to go through and um i'm gonna hook up a a rear camera to my nice, Audi. nice so what this will involve is like drilling through the physical metal of the car oh my God. <laughs> and then splicing into the rear uh like your tail light housing and then you have to go through all these electrical wiring diagrams <laughs> to figure out what the hot light is that will give it a hot light and tell you that you're um you have three lights in your your rear uh, light, like uh, the the brake light and the stop light, and then the reverse light for when it's in reverse. And then the reverse light will power on through a wire and make your Sony dash switch automatically to a rear view. So I'm doing all of that so I don't have to push a button. It'll just happen automatically. Wow. So, wow. wow. That's, that's, that's hardcore. I tried Pretty to change hardcore. one of our headlights once, and I ended up having to take it to the shop because I couldn't figure out how to do oh, it. Oh, Steve. Oh, my God. This sounds like sorcery to me when you're explaining all this. But this is, this is yeah, I've been telling this story on the campaign trail a lot. And I, you know, the district I'm running in, District 8, this is a blue-collar union district. And I tell this story a lot about how this guy I was working with on some marketing work. Uh, he went to Harvard. He was very proud to come from Harvard with a with a, a degree in marketing, right? And he comes over to my house, and I'm up underneath my car, and I'm changing my oil a few years ago. And he just looks at me with utter disgust. Uh, like, oh. like, what on earth are you doing doing that brutish manual labor, Brianna Wu? And, you know, growing up in Mississippi, like, my dad showed me to do this, how to do this, I think, when I was seven years old. Right? And it's like, I think it speaks to this kind of... um yeah, everybody likes to make fun of like Southerners, but the truth is they know more about cars and guns and mm-hmm. growing food than like certainly people up north do. It's just a different set of skills. And I think um, you know, this will tie into something we'll talk about later in the show, my New York Times interview. But we've got to like respect those skills and those mm-hmm. cultures because I do mm-hmm. think there's a real elitism problem in uh, you know, liberal circles where we just we don't learn the stuff and we kind of look down on people that do. And when the zombie apocalypse or robot apocalypse, we don't know which way it's going to go right. these days, yeah. shows up, we're really going to need these skills. Yeah. Seriously. I, these are really important skills. How to trap and hunt and yeah. fix things. Because at some case, if we actually have something happen like what happened to the libraries of Alexandria and we lose a whole bunch of information, then we're not going to know how to do the basic things that we have now. We really rely on the technology from the past. So I think that you're absolutely right. Plus, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure it takes a certain kind of person, but Bree, I'm sure this applies to you absolutely. When I am in in the car, yeah, looking at wiring diagrams and trying to figure out which part fits into which, and then it seems like everything's right, but then actually it's wrong. Like I get into such a flow and have so much fun with that, yeah. and it's just it feels so good to to get to fix those problems and you know understand these like basic things where uh, th- that like that's where when people like look at that in disgust, it's like you don't understand yeah. how much fun I'm having right now. This is not something that I, you know, wish that I could have somebody else do. No, I'm right. actually enjoying doing this. 
That's what Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is all about. And, you know, we live in such a disposable society mm-hmm. that, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't, I mean, you know, no offense to my husband, it doesn't impress me that he went out and bought a $38,000 Dodge Challenger. That, mm-hmm. I mean, it. I appreciate the professional accomplishments that make him able to afford a car like that. But what impresses me is, like, going out and, like, finding a classic gorgeous sports car like one of the like unquestionably finest machines ever made and then loving it and maintaining it and like making it your own like the millennium falcon like that is there's a deep zen feeling that you get like um you know, doing that stuff mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i absolutely agree absolutely. yeah uh, and, and speaking of uh, going on and, and doing your own thing when the, uh, the, the stuff that's available to you won't work, um, I hope you'll all indulge me as I talk a little bit about a project that I have been working on. Um, before we get into exactly that, though, I want to kind of give some, uh, some groundwork here about uh, HomeKit and home automation and the way that different uh, companies are kind of approaching it. So uh, when you hear about HomeKit, um, a lot of times people automatically understand that there's at least some uh, bit of safety uh, involved with HomeKit, a little bit of security involved with HomeKit. Uh, and a lot of that's based in you know the way that Apple has marketed it, and a lot of people don't necessarily know uh, what exactly is going on behind the scenes that allegedly makes this more safe than something that comes from another party that might not have the same sort of security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I want to talk about uh, there was a Reuters report that went out a while back, and in this Reuters report, um, they they found or they, they you know received or were given a document uh, that talked about the process for getting uh, the works with HomeKit badge. So it's like the made made for iPhone program, which says that you know this accessory has gotten the Apple stamp of approval. It will work with iPhones. Uh, works with HomeKit says that it is HomeKit enabled and it has the security standards that Apple has set up, etc. So one of the things that is required if you are going to get the uh, Works with HomeKit badge is that the there's a certain chip set that you have to buy. Now, there's a Wi-Fi chip and a Bluetooth chip, and there are some other chips involved as well, and those can cost between $0.50 cents and $2 more than the other chips that other companies are using that aren't HomeKit, uh, you know, have the HomeKit certification. Uh, it's, It's also the case that Apple actually has to certify the factory where your product is being manufactured. Or you can, ahead of time, go to Apple and find out. They actually have a list of 800 factories that they've certified. And you can then make your product there, and that will help kind of move things along. But if the factory where your product is being made is not on that list, then you're going to have a heck of a time. You can ask Apple to certify the factory, but that adds a whole bunch more time to the rollout of your product. Now, on top of that... There is also the fact that uh, these devices have to be sent to Apple for months of testing. Um, so they spend three to five months testing them for compatibility and testing them for security in order to get the HomeKit certification. And the, the most interesting thing about that process is that 
device makers, manufacturers are not allowed to say that they're looking to get HomeKit certification during that whole period of time. So all of this is happening sort of behind the scenes. A company doesn't get the opportunity to kind of market their product as something that's going to work with Apple HomeKit. But there was an interesting note in here where someone said, honestly, Apple was able to find some stuff that was wrong with our product, and we wouldn't have found that in just our testing. So we're thankful for Mm -hmm. that rigorous testing. Uh, On the other hand, again, they're not getting that that marketing. So let's put this on the flip side here, where to get Amazon's badge, because now um, across all of Amazon, when you look up different home automation stuff, uh, you will see a works with Alexa badge that appears like in the, the Amazon listing. And to get the works with Alexa label, uh, it takes only about 10 days. So the NSA already has that badge. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so only on days. the microwaves, Georgia. Only on the microwaves. Oh man! But uh, the amount of the amount of trust I would have in the Alexa certification, like that, wouldn't even be a rounding error of a percentage. Like they don't <laughs> give a damn about security. You know, like I I think Apple's dead on here, right? Like we've we've talked about that video in the past about the horror of like a bug with Siri. They'll let strangers into your house. So mm-hmm. I, I think they're dead on and I think we need more control over this stuff, not less. Like your your iPhone gets hacked routinely and the systems that are hooked up to it. Like we're gonna expand that to our house with laser cyber lazy cybersecurity policies? No, that's a bad idea. Yeah, but yes, I think I think it's also that most people most normal people don't know or don't care and so that what they look at is they have they go to buy something and they can't get what they want for that works with HomeKit, but they but it'll work with alexa so they'll go you know they'll start using one thing with alexa because they want to use it and then all of a sudden well i've got this one thing that works with alexa and not HomeKit. i may as well get this other thing that you know that right. works with alexa and not HomeKit. and all of a sudden alexa's taken over the house and HomeKit's left out in the cold yeah. Yes, I yeah, I think that's that's spot on. I think, uh, and it's important to note too that because of this three to five month process, because of these more expensive chips and things like that. And let me be clear here: I am, I mean, you could read my writing, listeners. I am obviously an advocate for HomeKit because that's what I spend so much time writing. But I am laying this out just so people can understand why these products are different and why you know they're kind of different. Um, different goals behind them. And with a three to five extra months and with the more expensive chips and with the certain certifications from certain factories, uh, it's just the case that HomeKit-enabled products typically do cost more. I can get a smart switch from, uh, oh goodness, I think it's TP-Link um, that costs, I want to say, f- 10 to $15 less than one that is from iDevices, say, that is HomeKit enabled, and it doesn't have HomeKit certification, uh, and those chips are coming from wherever they're coming from, and it's from a different place. So um, the, the point of all of this was just to kind of lay out kind of the difference between Apple's HomeKit certification and these other more, quote-unquote, open and potentially unsafe approaches to uh, adding these these platforms to their uh you know, to their system, working with Google Home or working with uh, Alexa or working with Siri. Now, uh, I actually I have two devices: the Nest Cam 
which comes from Google, uh, well, a, a you know subset of Google, and then I have a TP-Link switch that was uh, actually a sample uh, that I received. So I wanted to try out a system called Homebridge. Homebridge is built on the Node.js uh, framework platform. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm getting that word wrong, but essentially... Excuse me. Essentially, it's a subset of JavaScript that works with uh, setting up a, a server that you can use. And so I got a Raspberry Pi, and I installed the Node.js stuff, and I set up a server. And what you do with Homebridge uh, is you basically you go online and you find plugins for products that are not HomeKit compatible, that are not HomeKit enabled, and they use your device. In this case, the Raspberry Pi, or if you you choose to run this from a computer or a home server, it uses that device that has uh, stronger security built into it based on the fact that it is like a full-on computer. And it uses that as the bridge to serve as the, the central point of communication that then goes out and talks to those devices individually. And you can, f- you can find that there are different products available, the different plugins available that work with all of these different products. So I was able to find one for the, uh, for the TP-Link switch, and then I was able to find one for Nest. Now, what that allows me to do is actually when I pull up my iPhone, I can go into the home app and I can see the TP-Link switch in my home app, where before, because it's not uh, inherently HomeKit enabled, I was not able to see that and control it with Siri and all of those things. So it is a super, super cool application uh, where where you can have basically a mini server running in your home that allows you, and it's, you know, it's local network stuff that allows you to communicate with these devices using Siri. I do think it's important to note, though, that you should, you should have a base understanding of how these things work. And honestly, like I can, I could say that it's, it's built a little bit to be that way where you have to understand stuff or else it just simply doesn't work. I've spent probably three or four months, uh, three months just trying to get it to work and, and using it and beginning to understand it on my computer and about one month where I actually have been able to have it on the Raspberry Pi and use it from mm-hmm. there. So uh, it, it takes a little bit of work to understand how all of the stuff is set up and and how this Node.js uh package actually works, but it is a lot of fun to uh, go in and kind of basically look at the back end of, of how HomeKit is set up and be able to bring in more information. And so one one last thing that I want to touch on is that there are the Philips Hue actually has these little remotes and you, you can put them on your wall and they're dimmer remotes. You can turn on your lights and turn off your lights and then the middle ones are brightness up and down. And I have um, a couple of those in my house. And of course, Hue is HomeKit enabled, but I can use those now as just remotes with HomeKit to do anything I want. So I can set those buttons to turn on, turn off, uh, turn up heat, whatever I want, because they've Hmm. been enabled as individual HomeKit accessories. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Well, we'll, uh, we have a, a link to your writing on this, right? Yes, yes. We've got okay. some links to all the different stuff, yeah. and I actually am going to have a how-to out uh, later this week uh, for setting up one individually. Sounds so, great. Yes. Sounds great. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let, me, let me talk to you all about Squarespace. 
<laughs> and then we will move on to our next topics. Okay, right. okay, wait, okay. Micah, before you do that, okay, yes. we decided last night on Rocket, it's not domain name anymore. Like, Simone read this ad, you have to say domain name. Domain okay. <laughs> Domain name. I can't hear anything else in a Squarespace app. Is that like banana on, phone? Is that what that, that that's, that's exactly what it is? It's not domain banana name. Phone. It's domain name. So give me domain <laughs> name when you're reading this. Perfect. Um, this episode of Disruption is brought to you by Squarespace. You can Squarespace. enter the offer code Disruption at checkout to get ten percent off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea, and with a unique domain name, award. Yeah. Templates and more. Yes. <laughs> okay. You can have everything you need and everything you want, everything mm. you desire. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Squarespace's all-in-one platform lets you do just that. You don't have to worry about installing anything. You don't have to worry about patches. You don't have to worry about upgrades. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace takes care of it all for you. They have award-winning 24/7 customer support. If you need any help, let you quickly and and easily grab a unique domain name and yes, all of those award-winning yes. templates are yes. beautifully mwah, designed for you to show off your great ideas. I personally use Squarespace. I've talked about this before. I've got like three or four sites running on Squarespace. I love the fact that they're always adding new stuff without me having to worry about anything. I literally went in and hit a check mark and suddenly my site was HTTPS enabled. I could go in at any time and turn on Apple Pay if I wanted to sell stuff on my site. I think that's awesome. They just come along, they bring new features, and it's like, oh, just click a button and everything works. And it really does. Squarespace plans start at only $12 a month, and you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, you can use the offer code DISRUPTION. You're going to get 10% off your first purchase, and of course, you're showing your support for Disruption. We thank Squarespace for all their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website, and domain name. Domain name. <laughs> Compared to all the stuff you've just listened to for the past half hour, Squarespace is a piece of cake to set up a website. You don't have to, <laughs> drill, you don't have to drill through any that metal or set up a Raspberry Pi or take Georgia Dow to a rave. It will be way easier than any of those things, especially taking Georgia to a rave. So, yes. <laughs> Especially without airbags in your car. <laughs> oh, man. No airbags and uh, trying to do 360s in the parking lot. <laughs> Or switch to stick shift and, yeah, all that stuff. Domain Uh, name. Domain domain (laughs) Domain name. name. I'm sure you're all getting tired of hearing my voice, uh, but I do want to introduce (laughs) the next topic here, and then I'm going to shut up for a little bit. Uh, Yay! There are more people coming out of the woodwork as racists and homophobes and terrible people. Uh, How could we guess that uh, the current presidency would uh, empower these folks to come out of the woodwork? Uh, I don't know if you have noticed, everybody, but um, there are a few high-profile YouTubers out there um, who are not the greatest. And before where they may have been a little bit more subtle about the fact that they aren't 
really good people, uh, they're becoming a little bit more empowered and saying things like, we've gotten rid of discrimination in our Western, Western countries. If you don't think we've gotten rid of discrimination, you're living in a fantasy land. This oppression in America, it doesn't exist. Wealthy blacks commit more crimes than poor whites. That's a fact. What is so offensive about white people saying they'd like to preserve their demographic majority? So, uh, YouTuber John Tron Jafari um, has 3 million subscribers on YouTube, and he says things like that. Let's talk about PewDiePie. Let's talk about John, John Tron Jafari. And, um, well, let's the- stick with John Tron before we do PewDiePie. I mean, you know, this, this did not surprise me because, you know, I was one of the targets of Gamergate. And John Tron went after Zoe Quinn repeatedly, went after me repeatedly. So, um, yeah, I mean, that this guy is a, a racist in ways he doesn't understand and is cozy with the alt right is, you know, it's not a surprise to me. And what was really bumming me out, guys, is like uh, straight up the reason I was late to start the show tonight is because I was trying to finish a Final Fantasy fourteen dungeon. And like I'm reading general chat in there, and it's nothing but like gamers defending JonTron and absolutely Ugh. outraged about this. We've got to have a really critical look at why gamer culture is a steaming pile of manure. Because as best as I can tell, like it is, we just tap into, it's like, how far can we get like smoldering white male resentment to go? Like how long can we just build an entire industry and culture off of it? It's just, it's really disturbing. And what what really frustrates me is there were so many thoughtful op-eds this week about this. Patrick Klepek, but, you know, he just had a, um, you know, he just had a child. And you can see him going through that thing where, like, um, you know, his priorities shift. He had a very thoughtful piece about, uh, you know, like, how do you raise a child? in, you know, an industry full of such, you know, garbage. And, you know, the fact that the mainstream gamers just don't want to hear it and don't want to think about white supremacy, it just, like, there's a reason why I am finding running for freaking Congress to be less shitty on a daily basis (laughs) than working on the game industry. I mean, think about that, guys. So, you know, this is just, it's... It's the problem we've got, and I don't know how we solve this problem. Yeah, and and it's – I mean it's also really concerning because the – a lot of the audiences for these – for these YouTubers and these streamers are preteens and teenagers who are very impressionable. So – if somebody who they look up to is starting to espouse a lot of these views, they may think that that's something to, you know, to follow. Like I'm my oldest is going to be 10 and she's she's gotten to the age where YouTube is like the thing that she wants to watch all the time instead of instead of television. She she's predominantly watching Minecraft streams. And so, you know, it's not that it's something I didn't know, but it's something that, you know, I, I have to really understand like who she's watching and Mm -hmm. in a way that like when we were growing up or even if like you were raising kids 10 years ago you'd be watching 
what your kids are watching on like cable television and you know maybe they see some heads get chopped off on walking dead or whatever but it's it's different than you know this person basically coming into your house and mostly you know yelling at video games and every so often um talking about the 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 truth of white genocide you know it's something that you're not a lot of parents just aren't aren't prepared for because we didn't grow up with that. And, and even like parents who were raising kids 10 years ago don't have any advice because they weren't dealing with something like that. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's kind of interesting because, um, schools now in, um, people are learning that we need to teach children how to think critically about the information that they consume, because it used to be that there were a few networks they had, some journalistic principles tried to like, you know, vet things, think about it, show different sides, and then you would make your decisions. But now we're having more like now anyone can say anything and get a following. And if you're angry and upset and uh, bothered by the way the world is going, you can also have a voice, which in some ways is great, right? It brings the power back to the people and some media doesn't get out and you can have very different viewpoints. The problem is, is that when we don't teach people how to think critically from a very young age, then we become people that will just assume whoever is most popular and that we like, and then we follow that because we are naturally uh, mimics, and that is modeling is one of the strongest first responses that children have. And if you have um, kids, you can see that they'll mimic whoever they are most aligned to. And now that some of their the people that are babysitting them are not their grandmothers and grandfathers and this. It's someone on the internet. It's a really big deal. And that's why um, schools are now talking about teaching um, critical analysis and thinking and argumentation and models for uh, disseminating information and ways that people can be persuasive without actually giving an argument. That's so important But then we go to places where school is not free or that people have to choose between having food on their table or going out to work. And then we have a secondary problem, whereas people do no longer have that luxury of being able to be in school. And then you become really easily malleable. So, I mean, how do we fight back about this, George? I mean, what really gets me is I've been reading so many books about psychology lately, and I've been trying to understand how the Democratic Party goes forward from here. Because we do have this this really scary problem with um, you know this 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 extremism that's coming back. I mean, Steve, what really gets me? Is, you know, you can read novels, some of the greatest novels ever written from like the 10s and 20s. And, you know, they have all these phrases in it, like people talking just casually about like getting rid of the Jew bankers, right? Yeah. And like you want to believe that era is over and it's not. Like every day this week, I've seen a new story about a JCC getting targeted. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Georgia, as best as I can pick this this problem apart, because like I'm an engineer and I'm interested in going forward, I think it's it's two parts, right? I think that sometimes the left comes at problems from kind of um 
a hyper-educated elitist mm-hmm. shorthand. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with education, right? Like right. I live in yeah. a state that puts 24% of our budget towards education. That's awesome. Marty Walsh is trying to kill education uh, this month in Boston, and I'm pretty upset about it. There's nothing wrong with education. But the problem is, you know, we talk about privilege. You know, I'm a white person that has a certain amount of privilege. And I would like us to have a greater awareness that certain levels of education are also a privilege and they distance you from communicating and making an emotional connection with Mm -hmm. other kinds of people. So I think the Democratic Party has a real elitism problem that we've really got to get past, Um, which does make it hard because like a lot of the cultural issues we're talking about are are like feminism and like trans rights and gay rights. I realize that that is kind of a, it's hard to like not be elitist and also push back on some of these cultural issues. But as best as I can tell, like psychologically YouTubers like JonTron, they speak at a third grade level which has a really wide appeal and they kind of tap into this, the same thing Trump does this, this politics of smoldering resentment where anyone that says anything that possibly challenges the way that this group is acting is, it's just dismissed. They're wrong. They're stupid. Don't want to think about that. Tune it off. I don't know how we fight that other than, trying to make sure we communicate better with people. I mean, like mm-hmm. what 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 thoughts do you have? No, I think that you've hit the the nail on the head there. I think that the problem is that Democrats often think very analytically and they think that because they have the facts to back them then people will follow that because they believe that they have facts and science in this that will back it. Um, But they don't do a great job of speaking from the heart, of speaking to people's emotions. And we already know that that works. That's what moves people. People care about other people's personal journeys and why they're there. And a lot of people that um, are, are exceptionally popular, it's because they come at it from a highly emotional level. And if you ever look at any of the Apple ads, and they're they're very good Apple at promoting their products, they they don't really, they're not really selling you the iPhone. They're selling you who you are and how you will feel by having it, right? The same thing for perfume ads and the same thing for um, ads. They say that, you know, I'm like you and and this is how I feel about it. And I feel it deeply and I feel it very passionately. And I think that there's a huge disjoint when people come at it from a highly analytical. One, I think that when you're talking too analytically and you make other people feel like less than or there's something wrong with them or you're not part of my group, you've already created an us-them and you've already lost your argument because of that. And I think that if you come from the heart, from a place that's genuine where you can not diminish people or not say that, you know, you're um, you know, less than or because you didn't, you know, have the upbringing or, or have the chance for education that I had, I think that that's like a really very important problem that we face right now in politics and it happens across the board not only in the states and it makes people feel even more animosity and right now there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of separation and the the only way that we fix this is by coming together as one 
That's that's my hope as a candidate. I mean, I think people that have listened to the show for a long time know I do speak from the heart. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tap into that emotion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's weird for me to think about like growing up in Mississippi and seeing so much of the cultural resentment there firsthand, how that could actually make me very good at this career I'm yeah. embarking into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's what you're going to... You know, I'm, I'm so careful about this because... Like, I, I got to be straight with you, Georgia. I clicked on this link the other day. It was talking about the guide to be a better ally. And, you know, like my friend Catherine Lowe had recommended it. And I start reading it. And it's just automatically written at a graduate school level, right? Like, really, if you're writing a book that you want people to actually consume. Yeah. And right. it's funny because, well, okay, I, I'm sorry. I, mean, I was going to hijack that. When people write books or or speak at any public thing, when people are really secure with who they are, they don't have to use words that make other people feel like they're not part of the conversation. And it's it's really bothersome because no one should ever feel like this is something that they can't grasp, especially when it's a really important argument to learn. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Like, if I'm having a conversation with Micah and I use URM for shorthand, he's probably going to know what I mean. That's not how you write to a mass audience. It's just preening. Mm -hmm. It's preening. And it's all about your need to feel smarter than people. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think it's like, I, I, I truly never walk into a room and, like, I don't think I'm the smartest person on earth, but I know I can figure out what I need to figure out, right? And I just don't worry about that. And I see a real um, self-imposed insecurity that causes people to just not be able to function because it's all about their own lack of self-esteem. And I think it just destroys the left. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it needs to be, it needs to be fixed. It really does. People need um, to speak in a way that makes, makes people believe that you understand their journey. Yeah. And the sad part is in a lot of cases, people might, but they're trying to, you know, they might've been brought up in a way where, you know, intelligence was the most important part of their family. And so that's what they pride themselves on and that's what they carry them on. And I think that uh, that was one of the big problems that Hillary had was that people couldn't connect. She wasn't um, friendly enough. And it not because she's a woman, but because it made her seem like she was coming off as being um, snobbish and elitist. And she's not. She's a really wonderful, very um, friendly, caring, um, sweet, like has a great sense of humor. But that didn't come out. And I think that that was too bad. I, I have to say something about that, Georgia, because I feel like I understand this in a way I couldn't have before Gamergate. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things for me as I'm running for office these days is to not close up inside myself. And I think with respect, if you look at, say, some of the other women that went through Gamergate, like Anita Sarkeesian, comes off as very closed off to people. And I completely understand why, right? Like when you're getting battered all day long, it's so hard to like put your genuine self out there. It is so hard because you just want to like close off who you talk to and just limit it because it's safe. So what, what happened to Hillary? I completely understand it. Like I remember in the 90s, 
Newt Gingrich talking to her, like uh, Connie Chung interviewing Hillary and asking her, like, why Newt Gingrich's mom thought she was a bee. Or, like, asking her the most sexist questions. Like, um, I remember her getting blasted for actually making a statement like, well, I had a career before I got married, and I'm not here just to bake cookies. Mm -hmm. I I say stuff a thousand times more strong than that every day on Twitter. And she got blasted for that by everything. So I understand why she closed up inside of herself. But I think the the mission is now for people of my generation and younger to go to the next level of that, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. so conscious about setting the terms by which people can perceive me. Like you couldn't go out there and write a story that like, shocker, Brianna Wu said that sometimes she just doesn't want to hear opinions from straight white dudes like that's not (laughs) that couldn't be a story because I set the boundaries about who I am and what I tolerate right like I'm not trying to be this phony safe person and I think that's the way forward for women and other minorities is to really aggressively set new rules for ourselves if that makes sense yeah Yeah. and 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 I think some of this goes along with what we were talking about recently about like gotcha journalism too because it's hard i i think that and and i don't know because i'm not you know running for office and stuff like that but i would imagine that after a while of saying something that's slightly imprecise and having white right-wing media like jump on it and turn it into like three days of a 24-hour news cycle I would imagine that your tendency would be naturally to make sure that you can't be taken out of context, in which case you start being more precise and you start you you can't let yourself talk like a normal human would, which then makes you seem more out of touch and it and it creates kind of that persona. I would imagine that at least a little bit of, of you know the perception of Hillary too was just that she'd been through that for the last twenty years and she was making very sure to to be saying things in, in a way that they couldn't be twisted but that's the side effect of that is that you you it, it that's not how a normal person talks and then that kind of set ends up having the side effect of setting you apart from other people from from the people who you're trying to appeal to if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. i mean i'm certain i'm gonna have more moon rock stories right <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm certain more of that's gonna come out but yeah i mean but, uh, i i just think like i think the trade-off there is too strong right yeah and honestly my experience with journalists has been if you talk to them openly and honestly and treat their profession with respect and your conversation with them isn't, look, you go write this. It's like, look, I want you to consider A, B, and C because this will make your piece more accurate. I I mean, overwhelmingly, I get much better press than bad press. Like, it's it's a really good ratio. And I think it just comes from respecting journalists. I think this Hillary Clinton playbook is, I think it's obsolete. I really do. I, I think we're moving past it. But, you know, with JonTron, I think it's a different thing because it's not like one comment that he's taken yeah. out of context. He has a rich history mm-hmm. of saying these kinds of like horrible things. And the the most scary thing of all is I'm sure he's going to become even bigger from yeah. having you know put these views out there, and it's it's terrifying to me. 
he has lost um he the he has lost 10,000 subscribers and the people who are following him right now have uh you know ruffled and about this but the thing is that's not you know as we go through time i guarantee you're spot on you're he's going to start pulling in again these uh empowered <laughs> areas that you know, we'll sweep in and consider him because he has this platform uh, to to be someone that they look up to. And so, you know, you might l- lose 10,000 followers right now. And, you know, the, the article kind of seemed to, to celebrate that. But I'm sure that as time goes on, that, you know, number will you know, recoup itself and there will be yeah. lots more. So that is not even a third of yeah. a single percentage point. Of his total subscribers. Statistically, that's just a blip. And, you know, like as this keeps marching on in media, I think it's going to have the effect of people going, oh, he's edgy. Like, George is something you said, I think about every day as we go to the, we go to the extremes, Right. Um, So I I, I think that's what's going to happen with him. It takes more than like even a couple of incidents for people to kind of come to terms with what with what a person like that is like I was uh you know I was a Boston Red Sox fan in the the 2000s like I had a Kurt Schilling shirt but at right after the 2004 World Series and then he was starting to make some kind of a little bit you know political statements that he probably shouldn't have made at that time but it was the kind of thing that you would brush off because he was Kurt Schilling and he the bloody sock and everything else and it wasn't until like a few years later that he just started doubling down on those types of things especially after the studio collapsed and you you started to see like what kind of a a person he is um i think that for a lot of these people who i mean they've this is one thing and it's very it's very bad but for those people who are fans of his i would imagine that there's some conflict there between like the person that they've welcomed into their into their living rooms for lack of a better term over the last you know year two years three years and this very jarring thing that he's saying that is showing them who he is but that may that may not be enough to you know dislodge that image of them that they built up over this period of time too as well said, gamer gamer culture is just garbage. Yeah, it's, it, it, it really is, Steve. Yeah. And, I mean, Micah, you're talking about the Zen. You feel like working on your car. Just to be really straight with you, I don't enjoy games the way I used to. I don't because I've seen so much horror within the industry, and even you know, every day with my professional connections, I see. I see behavior in our field from the men here, and it's just it's. It just makes me want to cry every single day. And I just, it's not worth like destroying myself trying to fix it. It's not. I think we shall uh, head into the next topic here, which, um, you know, Brie, a lot of the things that that you were talking about just then, um, I uh, was kind of nodding my head then and also nodding my head as I was reading a certain interview in the New York Times. <laughs> what? What? So somebody, uh, Brianna Wu, was in the New York Times and had an interview. Uh, you want to talk about... Not just about- an interview, a full photo shoot, too. Yeah, yeah by, the, so, by the way, as, yeah. you, as you go through here, you pop up and whoop, there's Bri. Um <laughs> I I was reading through this and one of the things that um 
really stuck out to me is something that you expanded upon just then, as you're talking about how um, the Republicans have seen, you know, really do seem to get people to go out and vote with their emotions and how the Democratic Party is failing on that front and talking more about uh, the intellectualism that gets in the way of just you know, speaking to people uh, as humans, and I also have to say that I enjoyed your uh, your comparison to Grand Theft Auto. And if you decide to blow up a helicopter, uh, you're gonna get a fine and you're gonna go to jail. But it doesn't seem to be that in real life, when you're affecting real people, uh, when it came to GamerGate, there were no consequences, not even yeah. the jail or 100 virtual dollars. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk about this. This is. Really Really cool. I mean, well, we don't uh, we don't have to hyper touch on it. I mean, it was I'm I'm honored, of course, to be in the Times. I think it really shows um, kind of an official stamp of approval on my campaign, which I mm-hmm. definitely appreciate. It makes me want to double down and change the Democratic Party. But I I guess I'd love to double down, just uh, not double down, but I'd, I'd love to have a really very quick discussion with you guys about this. Um, What is currently really frustrating to me, and I touched on this in the piece a bit, I was all in on Hillary, guys. I was all in on Hillary. I I, I will tell you privately, I did not like the way Bernie treated Hillary in the primary. I thought there were subtle signs of sexism there, and I really did not appreciate Bernie bros. But at the same time, I would not be good at my job in engineering if I did not have the ability to look at results and think about what to change. And, you know, I've said this publicly. I think the Democratic Party was mistaken to bet on Hillary Clinton. I do believe Bernie would have won. And I'm really asking myself a lot these days how we can, you know, take this Hillary Clinton pragmatic, very informed, policy-focused approach but marry it with Bernie's ability to speak from the heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I touched on this in my piece. And what I'd love your opinions on this, but I find it so frustrating that I get so much blowback from Hillary people when I say positive things about Bernie Sanders and what he did. Yeah. Online, and I, I fundamentally don't understand it. I'm not trying to erase any of the the really horrible things his supporters did to me and my friends, but at the same time, like I've really come to the conclusion that incrementalism is not the way to go. Like we need to really put a bold vision out there with single payer. We need to have a real unapologetic version vision for the working class in this in this country we need to talk very boldly about climate change and the radical things we need to do to address that we need to talk about you know um you know guaranteed minimum income like we were uh last week so i mean how do we what is your perception of this why do you think there's so much resistance in our party to like bringing us together because i i don't get it it's it's a real fundamental problem is that when and and a lot of people that are in power use this all the time right like you you get taught in um social dynamics is that the best way to uh, break up a group of people that you have to fight against is to separate them into us and them and make them fight among themselves and so it's always been a real problem with 
um, certain parties and and definitely the Democrat Party, the Democratic Party, is that there's a lot of infighting in there. And I think that part of it is that, you know, everyone is so high upon their standards of what they believe that it's it's really hard for them to come together when they need to come together. And you can see it in a lot of movements where, you know, they're, they're split into us and them. And that will defeat any group of people that are there. And it's um, really sad that people can't kind of come together for the greater good that we don't always have to agree on everything. And if you mm. disagree with one of my points of view, it doesn't mean that you're against all of that. And let's see where we can go together as a team. I want to double down. On, we're, I, we're saying that we're double down a lot, but I want to yeah, <laughs> triple go down. With triple triple down. down. I want down. to triple down on that to say that I absolutely agree because thinking back uh, immediately following the election, um, you know, having this platform and and being able to talk on this podcast and you know people on twitter and wherever else people for some reason listen to me i i try, i honestly i do try not to take that lightly and consider that um m- me talking on this show is talking from the experience of the you know the different things that i've been through but also how that might uh inform others of how people who are like me also go through these experiences and so immediately following the election you know i can remember firing off some tweets and talking about what this feels like as a uh, a person who fits into several different minority groups and uh especially being in mid missouri and what it felt like in the moment and uh, I didn't, I didn't see, and I don't have any quality filters turned on or anything. So, you know, a bit of privilege there that I don't have to have that turned on. I still don't see a lot of hatred, but I didn't Whoa. see anything from, right. Um, mind you, I have a very small subset of followers as well. So I think that helps a little bit. And also, dude, I only saw blowback on the words that I used and the phrases that I used and how the things that I said was letting the other side win, quote unquote. And all of this stuff about policing, you know, my my word choice and also like how I was feeling in the moment, policing my feelings and the experience that I had. And uh, I've seen that happen so much where there's so much infighting on all of these tiny little things where, you know, there's there's you can almost like predict every single think piece that will come out about something that happened every single time where we're not looking at the bigger picture and trying to come together where this intellectualism does get in the way and you have all of this this intellectual uh you know medium think pieces again uh getting in the way of just when you look at the base of things how we can come together and make a change an actual change Let's do that instead of of fighting about you know one phrase or one word regarding the way that I feel in uh, in the moment or that someone else feels in the moment because I'm not you know just speaking specifically about me these are a whole bunch of different situations that have happened and so yeah I, most importantly I just want to say that I think Georgia you're dead on about how we're so busy uh, arguing with each other and you know this this thing has been set up where it's me against you, even though we're supposed to be on the same side of things, mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating and it's also incredibly exhausting. And it does make me want to do what Bree was talking about earlier, where I kind of uh, pull away and just have my little group of people that I communicate with. Because like, my goodness, you put it out there and people are just, ah, 
I, I think I would say this, Micah, like, I, I think that there's a, having worked in a Republican office and now having worked in a Democrat office, there is a sense on the left that is somehow more noble or a higher priority to correct someone with your exact view than to run for office yourself. Hmm. Like that's the more thing, the more worthwhile thing. And for me, like I've no, I mean, I know I'm a deeply, deeply flawed person. I mean, my, my, my flaws are not unknown to me. I'm in therapy every week talking about it, but I'm also the person standing up and going out there and saying, I've had enough and I'm, I'm getting in the mud and I'm doing this. You know, I think there's, I don't think it's, it's not that I'm saying I don't want to hear critique. It's that I'm saying critique is not the top mission priority. That said, you know, I, I want to check in with you about something, Micah, too, because, you know, I've been talking a lot with my messaging lately about education, um, how we need to really be careful about hyper-messaging, um, you know, being hyper-educated with our messaging. And it does occur to me uh, that I got quite a bit of blowback from people on that that are black. And it did occur to me that, like, you know, like, for me, I am the typical startup person that dropped out of college when I was 19 and, you know, started a quarter of a million dollar business and rode that white privilege to a lot of awesome career experience, right? Um, it does occur to me that for a lot of um, particularly black people, I see this a lot in tech and I see it in game dev, that that access to education is kind of the thing that... Um, that kind of gives them this unquestionable bona fides to be in a room, even against um, you know, white supremacy. So, I mean, am I right to be thinking in that direction? Like, what are your thoughts on that? So we we've talked about this before, and um, it was a it was a moment where you know you kind of hit the nail on the head with me, and it wasn't something that I had kind of put two and two together with ever in the past, um, where. Uh, you know anyone who who speaks to me in in conversation over message or something like that knows that I am a very metered speaker and we talked about this and I can say that this is the same for other members of my family and you know friends that I have who do tend to you know, rely on education and rely on that. They they feel like that is some sort of necessary pedigree that uh, gets them. It's not even about even getting you know recognition so much as it is even getting them through the door. It's getting the the base level. Um, you hear people talk about how they're always told that they um, well you speak so well and you oh you you know you the the methods that you choose to speak it's it's wonderful and that's because there is a certain expectation there it's based in racism and so yeah i understand where people are coming from with that because I have done it myself, and I know that many other people have done it themselves where they have to say, you know, 
you you think this about me just by looking at me, so let me try to list out all of these things about myself that suddenly make it so that you think I'm legitimate and that I actually mm-hmm. uh, can be trusted and that I actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, so that's been something that's pro- programmed into my life over the course of time, so I could really see how, yeah, there would be some blowback there. But I I get what you're saying at the same time, and I, I, I think there's a fine line to walk there. Um, I guess... What I would say is, is for me at least, uh, I try to work on when it comes to you know communicating messages about about things that are very 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 important, getting to the heart of it. But in communication, in you know professional situations and things like that, uh, I am probably going to default to that persona that I have that is trying to make sure that people know that I am quote unquote legitimate because. I have to, and and others have to, because they've they've got this uh, this tag that exists and does not go away. <laughs> All right. Sorry for going long today, y'all. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's a yeah. long show tonight. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. The the only thing I wanted to add about the whole Bernie thing is that I I think that at the time, I the problem that I had with him was that. I he had a lot of great ideas that sounded great and I didn't see how he was actually going to get from point A to point B because it seemed like he had a lot of a lot of big ideas but he didn't seem to have any any you know concrete plans of how to get there and I think that what we've learned over the past few months is that that that, that kind of not that that doesn't matter but that that's not as important to communicate in an election than we then I think some of us thought it was that I certainly thought it was. And, you know, I, I think that if we're going to have a contest of ideas, then you should put the big ideas out there, even if you can't necessarily get there, even in the course of like two presidencies, it, it's, it's good to at least have something to shoot for. Like, a, you know, a John F. Kennedy, we're going to go to the moon, but mm-hmm. with something like, you know, like single payer or with, uh, you know, paid educate paid secondary education for as as a you know a right of citizenship or whatever it happens to be, and then figure out how you're going to get there later. But at least have, uh, uh, you know, something that you can campaign on that's not that doesn't open up to the the argument of well both candidates are the same so it doesn't matter, which is something yeah. that that came up a lot in the 2016 election. And, and so and that wouldn't that wouldn't have happened with Bernie. I mean, whether you liked him or not, there's no way that you would have been able to to say to put Bernie and, and Trump side by side and say they're basically the same candidate that never that that wasn't going to be able to happen. So I think that's it, it's just being able to distinguish what the Democratic Party stands for and like what are the big ideas to contrast, you know, and and. Those big ideas, I think, would appeal to a lot of people if somebody was thinking about that and not worrying about communicating like the minuscule details about like how, you know, individual policy things, which most people don't either don't understand or don't care. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, yeah, well, I have more to say. We'll end it there because we're an hour and 15 in. Yes. Uh, If you would like to get in touch uh, whenever we will share those voicemails, emails, questions, and things next week, here's how you can do that. You can call us at 508-418-3532 to leave a voicemail, or you can tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me. If you'd like to keep things 
private, you can send a direct message. Uh, as always, please let us know if you'd like us to use your name on the show. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. Go ahead and review the show on iTunes. I actually plucked some reviews from the system. Uh, so hopefully Dow will take a look at those over the coming week, and we can mm-hmm. share some of those on next show as well. Uh, you can find the show notes at relay.fm slash disruption for all of the links or just look in that podcast app you're probably listening to right now. And if you're looking for me online, you can find me at Micah Sargent or www.chihuahua.coffee. And Steve, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Well, you can probably find me playing playing the new Zelda with my daughters and being told helpfully that I should probably try to climb down the tower instead of falling down to my death <laughs> by uh by by a couple of seven-year-olds and a nine-year-old uh or you can find me or you can find me on twitter at wicked good and brie if people are looking for you where can they find you so steve i'm thinking about driving to your house sometime and taking you for a ride in my instre- extremely fast agile sports car and just recording the whole thing. Bring the dogs. Just, yeah, no, no dogs. We don't want to make it any more stressful. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure it's just the same as me driving around in my Honda Accord. I'm sure there's no difference it's there whatsoever. Really the same. And I promise I will get the airbag wired up again before the passenger airbag. That's very considerate of you. I, I appreciate that. I care about your safety. And the seat, there, this, this car has seatbelts installed still, right? It does. It okay. does. I'm, I'm about to go mount aluminum pieces over the seatbelt like holder. It's going to be beautiful. Can, can, you, can, can you make that out of andamantium instead just to be on the safe side? <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. I could. You can also see me um, on uh, – I've got a really big piece coming out this week uh, on Refinery21. Uh, it was almost an hour and 20-minute interview, so I can't wait to see what they do with that. Uh, you can see me in L this week, uh, this month rather, and you can see me um, – on Twitter at the Twitter account Space Cat Gal. Awesome. And last but certainly not least, the queen of the dash and the underscore, Georgia Dow. <laughs> if people are looking for you, where can they find you? So if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, you can check out anxiety-videos.com. You can check me out. I'm going to be live um, on uh, This Week in Tech and on uh, Screensavers. Uh, so you can oh, check sweet. that out this week. Oh, my um, God. I may die of nervousness beforehand, <laughs> uh, so send me some love. <laughs> and um, if not, you can also check me out on Twitter. Yes, there's an underscore, Georgia underscore Dow. Georgia, can you promise if you have to say the word domain to just sneak it into this weekend and say domain name? <laughs> I can try, but I'll, I'll just be happy if I don't faint. Okay. <laughs> Leo's not going to say anything. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He totally He's wouldn't nice say anything. Person. I just might fall over. That's all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Good when you fall over, you can, you can say domaino name as your uh, fill-in curse word. <laughs> yes. Oh, domaino name. Right, right. All that's left is for Steve to say that domaino name he says every week. So, Steve, take it away. Domaino name. Oh, there we go.